Now, the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Good morning and welcome to the Thursday edition of the program. I'm Bobby Curran along with Tanner Hayworth. Between us, we'll try and bring you the complete world of sports, pros, colleges, high schools, other sporting events taking place here with guests and giveaways and, of course, your phone calls. Did want to start off with a thought. I'm thinking, what is the riskiest signing in all of pro sports? And I got to think it's starting pitching. I mean, you because guys are paying so much for starting pitching, view, say, Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, both who were with the Mets early in the year, people will shell out big time for high-praised pitching that does not always work out. Now, Max Scherzer last night cannot. Uh, he's not gotten back uh, with his, uh, his slider, which is maybe his best pitch. And, and as a result... In his return for the Rangers, he gave up five runs in four innings. Did that take them out of any chance to win? I think you could make that case. Because they only lost 8-5, to five, did the Rangers, their first loss to the playoffs. You have to wonder, had they gotten even a competent pitching performance? And that's worth, I don't know, I'm trying to remember what he got paid. I want to say he's in the $40 million arrear range. I just think you're less risky. You pay $40 million a year for an NBA player. He's rarely a bust. You know he can play some. But through, oftentimes through injuries that are very tough to predict, a Major League Baseball player, you don't get much for him and might never get much for him. So that's starting to look like one move the Mets made that was right, maybe not so right in the case of Justin Verlander because he looks like he's a little closer to being back to his self after injury concerns. But I just think that it, you see it happen all the time in Major League Baseball. It's a guy just – and conversely, there are guys that you've barely heard of that can come into the league and suddenly start providing excellent pitching. I mean, it happens every seemingly every year. But could anybody say they have the timing on that? I don't know. I don't think there's a single GM or anybody that would even lay claim to being able to read the cards on that one. Very, very tough to say. And uh, so right now, that series is 2-1 in favor of the Rangers. But I don't know. Would you bet at this point against? I don't know if I would bet against Houston. I'm just thinking that, that team tends to get on a roll and uh, Jordan Alvarez hitting a cover off the ball. I mean, that's just, uh, that's scary. Are they going to get somebody that's able to do the job? I think that's a big question. Because I think when Houston has it going, you better, you're going to have to score six, seven, eight runs to win. That's tough to do in this man's league. Anyway, that's a fun thing to keep track of. On the other side, I think the Phillies look like they're headed for it. Uh, to the World Series. I just don't know that the Diamondbacks, when the moment gets really big, I don't think anybody expected the Diamondbacks to get this far. I was in Phoenix for my surgery for that whole uh, spring of baseball and the early start of it. I didn't come home for the first time until March 24th. I was back 
uh, for monthly visits and testing. And I can tell you this. There's a couple of guys in the morning show that seemed shocked every time they talked about where the Diamondbacks were. When it became fairly apparent that the Diamondbacks really could make the playoffs, they seemed sh absolutely amazed. They did not expect to be there, frankly. And, and the Diamondbacks were a pretty good club. I mean, that's, that's not a bad team. They started off like a house on fire here in the playoffs. But is that going to be maintained against a team that's feeling really good about itself? And I just think that's the case with the Philadelphia Phillies right now. They are really feeling Look at Aaron Nola. He's like a different man since the playoffs started. I just think that's, and Zach Wheeler has been reliable for them all year long. Interesting stuff. We, uh, we got a lot to talk about today. I just don't know. I don't think I have the stomach for it is how I would put it. To put up big, I tell you big, I'm saying 30 plus million a year for a pitcher who you just never know what day he's going to walk in and say, hey, I got a twinge in my shoulder. A twinge in your shoulder at $35 million a year is a scary proposition. And, I mean, there's no telling. A lot of times they've been able to fix some of this stuff, Tommy, Tommy John surgeries most particularly. But occasionally there's something that just can't be fixed or you can't restore a pitcher to former glory. Now think how often, conversely, that happens to a linebacker, say. It's much rarer. I mean, he might be out six months. He might be out of season. But the chances of him coming back and playing at a high level are much, much better than it is with an injured starting pitcher. Just saying. And they're making those kind of salaries, those kinds of big money salaries. In fact, I'm not sure that where you've got Mr. Parsons even making that kind of money yet. He's still on a rookie deal, right? So he wouldn't be making close to that. So, And I think when you look at some of the uh, some of the signal callers in the NFL. Yeah, Danny Dimes is out hurt with a neck injury. I don't think there's any guarantee he's going to play this week. Not, not that I think it matters much. I think the Giants are out of it, and irreparably so. So I don't think that matters too much in his case. But here's the question. Is he going to be able to get back? And most of the people say yes. Most of the doctors and the consultants, at this point they're saying, yeah, Danny Jones should be back. He'll be back to his former self. You could argue about how good that is. But I think there's a, a, a strong feeling of opinion that he'll be back. Is there any guarantee that Max Scherzer will be back? What is he, 37 now? I mean, he's not a kid. You get a serious arm injury at this point, shoulder, you know, joints, anything like that goes. And I think it's much less definite that you're coming back to your former self. And nine minutes past six o'clock, uh, go ahead if you have something, 296-1420. I'm enjoying the baseball. I'm enjoying, I, I love it. I hate to say this, I have the iconoclast in me, but I love it when the Dodgers get knocked out or the Atlanta Braves get knocked out, even though they were my pre-series pre pick. I thought they would get there, and I thought they'd do well. They seem to have everything and uh, that you need. They have good pitching and a decent bullpen and guys that can hit it all over the yard. Um, great, but that wasn't good enough. Not in the face of Philadelphia, who has just gone nuts. And I think in particular, Bryce Harper looks like he is headed for the NLCS MVP. It'd be hard to see it being somebody else at this point. And I think the Phillies are going to go on to beat the Diamondbacks. We'll see what they can do at home. 
But I, you know, they've been good at home all year, but I'm not sure they have enough to compete with Philadelphia. You're, you have a thought on this? Go ahead. I just think big money for baseball players, oftentimes, pitchers especially, is a tough and risky bet. Go ahead if you have something. 808-296-1420 is that number. We are going to have coming up for you in just a little while uh, in our second segment. Boston Globe reporter Nicole Yang, she covers the Patriots. And you know what the talk is up there. Does Bill Belichick endure this for much longer? Does he Is he going to be okay with being on the back end of the AFC East? Because that's where they're headed. I don't think this. I don't know if they'll even catch the Jets, because the Jets appear to be capable of some greatness, and not all the time, not consistently. Obviously, they don't have Aaron Rodgers, so it's you know they're making do with uh, with Zach, old Zach uh, there. And I, you know, is he the guy? I don't know. Zach Wilson may not be the guy. And I, I get where there there's some people that are starting to feel like, hey, you know what? He might be a little better than we thought he was. He might be. But is he good enough to take the Jets to the promised land? I would say no. That's what I would say. And then we're going to come and talk with Nicole Yang about the word at the Patriots. There are people that believe that Bill Belichick's incapable of retiring, that he wants to get the all-time wins record. I, th I believe he's 19 short, and I think you'd have to figure that's, well, that's two good years, but more likely— uh, the way present trends are going, that's probably three years. It would be sometime in his third year he gets that from now. And uh, is that important enough to go through the torture? How many times have you heard a football coach, and it goes to college too, how many times have you heard a college football say, it's not, it's, losing is absolutely so horrible. What winning is, is the relief from losing. Which I thought, what a way to run your life. Okay, all the best you can hope for is to be free from the tortures of losing. It's not like you can enjoy the winning because there's a game next week unless you win the Super Bowl. And even then, for the tightly wrapped among us, I, I think the planning for the next Super Bowl starts with just as much misery involved the next season as there was in the previous one. It's how it goes. It's painful. I would get that. I had no argument about that. And uh, we have to take a time out in just a moment. We'll be back uh, shortly with Nicole Yang. First, a reminder, watch Cole Mousehoff as he sits down with his Punahou pals, Georgetown linebacker Giancarlo Rufo and UH quarterback John Chiavi Sangapolutele with grinds from Yama's Fish Market. It's the latest episode of Athletes on our YouTube channel or ESPNHonolulu.com. Brought to you by Central Pacific Bank, Hawaii's best bank. Welcome back to this Thursday edition of the program. We've got a lot of things uh, to talk about today, and one of them, the NFL Coaches Fraternity, 
Who knows? I'm hearing rumors. Could it be the end for Bill Belichick? Will he be tired of the losing and of the accusations that he's not ready and that Bob Kraft might get rid of him? And it wouldn't be his choice. Unthinkable just a few years ago. Joining us now, Nicole Yang from the Boston Globe. Michelle, how are you? I mean, uh, Nicole, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm just thinking this is fascinating. You have an interesting beat. Because I think trying to figure out, first of all, he is not the most forthcoming guy on the planet. I think that's been ever thus. I know before you, Tara Sullivan was dealing with it. Uh, it's just um, it was the way he is. I don't know if you're ever going to get a flat-out clear answer from him. What do you think? Yeah, that's for sure. And even with all the losing that's been happening, his approach to the media has not changed. He is still taking that same secretive, cagey attitude. Well, you know, and I, I the, the last couple of years have not been as good. I, he even benched Mac Jones at one point recently. I, I'm thinking he's got to have doubts about whether or not Mac Jones was the guy. Yeah, and I think those those doubts have emerged over the past two years or so, just given how the situation was handled last year with Bailey Zappi. And now this year, Bailey Zappi has sort of regressed so they don't really have a choice other than Mac. But I can't imagine the relationship there is in a good place, just considering the losing and also the pressure on both of them to perform. Well, I wonder what, I mean, you, Bob Kraft is a little more forthcoming, although he also is cagey in the things he says. If you had to take a whack at this, Nicole, what do you think that Bob Kraft's feeling about Belichick is right now? I mean, I'm sure the losing frustrates him. Robert has made it clear when he speaks to the media that a winning record and a playoff berth are very important to him, and it bothers him the fact that the Patriots have been out of it and they haven't won a playoff game now dating back to, I think, 2018. So it definitely bothers him, gets at him, and... I don't think he's happy with the results at all. Well, here's the thing about Bob Kraft. He shares this in common with people like Jerry Jones. These guys aren't, uh, they're, they're not kids. These guys are on the older side of it, and I would be sure the success that Bob Kraft has had, he's got to be thinking he wants to see, you know, he wants to see platforms and, and Super Bowl stages and all that stuff at least once more before he gives it up. Most certainly, yes. I, I imagine that that would be one of his goals along with getting inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So he just will have to decide whether Bill is still the best option to lead the team moving forward. Well, let's t talk about Bill because you and I had a conversation a little bit setting up this uh, interview with you today about that Bill. one of Bill Belichick's apparently main goals uh, remaining to him, because he's done most everything you could do in football, is to have the all-times win, wins record. And I think you said, what did you say he is, 19 away? He's 18 away, 18. Yeah. So, I mean, that would you'd have to think with the way it's been going recently that that would happen sometimes in a third future year from now? Yeah, so, I mean, if it were to happen in two seasons this year and next year, that means, what, nine wins per season. year? That's, that's not going to happen this year. So if they win five games this year, do you think they can win 13 next year? I doubt that, too. So yeah, we're it's, looking just, at it's a long a shot. 
season, yeah, runway if Bill were to reach that record as a Patriot. Well, now here's the other question. Do you think Bill Belichick would want the, that so badly that if Bob Kraft is to say, yeah, we had a great run, but I think we we got to make a change? If he did that, would Bill Belichick, you, do you think, consider coaching somewhere else? Because I've heard other people say if Belichick says he, he wants to keep coaching, he'll get offers. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of interesting questions here. One of them is, obviously, first, if Robert would part ways with Bill, and then if he does, does Bill still want to coach? I think he still loves it. That's why he's still doing it now, even at age 71. He spoke to my colleague, Dan Shaughnessy, in, in an interview at the beginning of last season and said that he regretted once that he wouldn't coach well into his 70s because it looks like we're heading that way. You have Pete Carroll, who's a year older than him, still coaching. So it's definitely not unreasonable to think that he will want to continue, especially given how close he is to that record. Now the question is if he can find a situation in which compensates him accordingly and then also gives him sort of the role in which he has here, which is almost like full control over personnel, his staff. You look at his staff, and it's all either friends of his or former players. There's all there's always a connection to Bill, and so I'm not sure if he'll have that level of control elsewhere, but who knows, given his prestige and history, maybe there is an organization that's like, you can come in, we'll pay you $25 million, and you can do whatever you want. We're talking with Nicole Yang from the Boston Globe. She's on uh, that Patriot beat, which is getting more interesting by the day, I think, as people say, what's happened? How can they get it turned around? I'm not sure that's going to be an easy fix. Your thought? Yeah, it definitely will not be an easy fix. It sure looks like their problems are deep-rooted into roster construction, and it's not just a matter of, okay, what adjustments can they make on Sunday? It's what adjustments can the team make in overhauling the roster moving forward. So it's an interesting crossroads because if this record is what Bill is after, he will be trying to win, but... For the team at this point, at one and five, staring down two top divisional opponents, likely a one and seven start. At that point, it's probably in the team's best interest to lose and just maintain a high draft position. So those two desires might be directly at a uh, at confronting each other. Well, what's interesting is, I mean, I think the guy that most people are pointing to is uh, Caleb Williams at SC and, and possibly even the May kid from North Carolina who also looks like a top-type prospect. But it's hard for me to imagine that they could get into a spot to get one of those guys. Yeah, they would have to continue losing out for sure to be in position for that. Um, it will be interesting to see how they operate ahead of the trade deadline if they start selling off some of their better pieces, whatever they do have that is of interest to other teams. Maybe they trade Kendrick Bourne for like a third round pick. Maybe they are able to trade a couple of those players to acquire additional draft capital, which would help them in terms of moving up the draft board. But it, 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 there's just a fascinating number of questions 
coming up for them. It seems like there's a, a funny kind of a vibe around there. You're saying you're not sure, you said before, you're not sure Mac Jones and Bill Belichick are in a good place right now. Do you think there's friction, actual friction there? I mean, I think losing just exposes everything. Winning solves everything, and losing just increases tension. And they both have a lot of pressure on them right now. Bill's probably coaching for his job, and Mac Jones is too. His fifth-year option, the team has to make a decision on that in May of next year, whether they want to keep him on that cost-controlled year. And as of right now, I mean, I just can't imagine that the team is interested in uh, keeping Mac around. I, it's not an indictment on him per se, but it's just not going to work out in New England, it, it appears. But that being said, it is still early. It is only week seven. Things have gone very poorly in weeks one through six. But if they can end the season sort of trending in the right direction, I do think that will make a difference. Which would be, that would be happiness for Bill Belichick. Because he doesn't just want to be able to stay there. He wants to be wanted. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, at this point, I don't think being wanted is an issue of Bill. It's, he, he just needs to preserve his job, uh, whether it's here or elsewhere. Well, I think but that if he, who where job, sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to say, where do you think he might? Where would be an attractive place for him if he did have to move on? I mean, if he could choose, I think obviously the Giants given his tie to that organization, but that seems unlikely because they've invested in Brian Dable. I think the spot that a lot of people are floating that also makes sense is Washington, just because Bill grew up in Annapolis. Bill has ties to that area, and it seems likely that they could move on from Ron Rivera, and they have this new ownership group that's probably trying to make a splash, willing to spend, Bill at the very least would probably help create intrigue surrounding the organization, sell tickets, things like that. The Chargers have also been floated, but that one's a little tougher because their ownership group isn't as likely to spend money, so you're going to have to pay Bill accordingly in order to have him on staff so um that i don't know exactly what his market is because he is 72 and like his track record he's going to be 72 and his track record over the past two seasons doesn't inspire much confidence but i feel like there probably is a team that still can talk them into them talk them into themselves to thinking this is the best option for them. Do you have a good handle on what his current salary is? I know that that's not something that the Patriots are likely to prominently publicize, but would you guess he's in the 7 to 10 million range? I would guess it's significantly more than that, yeah. More than 10 million? Yes. Wow, that's, you know, to me, I mean, then it's just keeping score because he's obviously, with the successful career, he's got more money than he could ever spend. Yeah, I don't think Bill is in this for the money. If Bill was in this for the money, I'm sure he could get a significant, bro a lucrative broadcast deal and retire. So I, I don't think, I mean, I'm sure he still wants to be paid to do his job at what he thinks is like an appropriate rate. But I wouldn't say money is his primary motivation. That just doesn't mean he's going to take like $5 million per year just to, to keep coaching, though.
Right. I, I hear that. Nicole, it's going to be very interesting before the season ends. Thank you so much for taking the time with us. Appreciate you. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Nicole Yang from the Boston Globe on Bill Belichick and the, the divisions that apparently are settling in in New England. We have got to take a new uh, quick time out. There's a new place to catch your favorite NFL games. The Lookout Food and Drink at Waikai and Ever Beach. Doors open early on Sundays at 6.30. Enjoy happy hour prices on poo-poo and drinks from 4 to 6 on during Monday and Thursday night football. If your team is losing, at least you can enjoy the breeze, the setting, the ocean view. And uh, we'll be right back on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN, Honolulu. Welcome back uh, to the Thursday edition of the program. Hawaii uh, down, the football team down in New Mexico, Albuquerque to be precise, to get ready to take on the Lobos. That looks like it's a game that's probably as winnable as any that's left on the schedule. I, I don't think that New Mexico is going to blow you away. They do average something like 28 points a game. Uh, that's, I think, down just now under 28. But that's a, pretty, that's a reasonable total. You can win games. Apparently their main issues so far have been on defense. And they've got a number of penalties, some of the same things that have afflicted Hawaii over time this year. I, I think we can look forward to a very competitive game uh, down in the, uh, in the dusty area of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, I wanted to get to something else that's really interesting to me. I saw last weekend that at the Iowa Hawkeye football stadium, they, they had the Iowa women's team play an exhibition there, and they got 55,000 people in the football stadium, which I thought was quite remarkable. They got that one great, uh, uh, Caitlin, is it Caitlin Clark, I want to say? She's a really terrific player, and, and maybe that they figured this is the time to try one of those gimmicky things, usually. And there was great criticism. I remember the friction. I want to say it was between uh, Bruce Pearl, who was then the coach at Tennessee, and Pat Summit, who was the women's coach. Because they did a promotion, and it turned out the tickets were, I can't remember how much, $5 maybe, but they were very cheap for the women's game. And then they were crowing about how, how much better they did than the men's team. That made Bruce Pearl crazy. He's like, this is apples and oranges. I mean, we're charging $32 a ticket, and they're charging three or five or whatever the heck it was. And it was really negligible, and they were, getting, they were filling the place on sort of a novelty basis. Well, one of my observations is, and I was watching uh, the NBA championships. Uh, the, they're in the final series, won by the Las Vegas Aces yesterday, and that's back-to-back -back for them. And I just was, while watching it was occurring to me how far women's basketball has come. I mean, that those women are terrific players. I mean, I was it was kind of fun to watch. I got on and I was going to go back and forth with baseball, but I ended up watching far more uh, women's basketball on that one. And they, have, they can really play. I mean, it used to be much at a much lower level than that. And I'm talking 25 years ago. It was not, there weren't as many... Good women, And one of the things, the way you can know this is you look at the scores when good women's teams play each other. Now you can get these close games. I remember when it used to be 
I mean, if you saw the score, you knew it was women's basketball. It'd be 78 to 14. You didn't have to think to go any further. That was a women's game. That Those days are long gone, I'm happy to say. They're extremely competitive. More and more people are investing money into their programs, so their recruiting is better, their facilities are better. And all of the things that should have happened probably 25 years ago are now happening for real. I think it's, uh, I think it's terrific. I, I think it, the, you know, I was watching the New York Liberty with some of the stars. I mean, uh, Brianna Stewart, known as Stewie, uh, to her teammates. I mean, they have just great player after great player. Uh, Ian Eskew, I mean, that's... And then Asia Wilson on the other side, on the Vegas Aces and Gray, and, I mean, Kelsey Plum. That is a really good team as well. Now, I don't think it's going to do any good for the women's game if, if, let's say, Las Vegas wins this thing 10 years in a row. If they become the Celtics of the 60s, I don't think that will enhance the cause as much as it would if we get more good teams, more people saying, hey, let's, we're going to spend, we're going to get these players in here, and we're going to compete for a title. It's fun to watch, though, I have to say. They were really good. Here's what killed the Liberty. They were, uh, they had, were down 2-1. to one. They could have tied it up, sent it to a fifth game. But Brianna Stewart had the rare off-shooting night. She was 3 for 17. That's hard when your MVP is, the, is that kind of having that kind of a night. That You just got to go and do better than that. And she'll be the first to say it, I'm sure. Interesting stuff uh, all the way around. Um, I don't know if we're going to see more. I just thought to myself, you know what? Maybe the Rainbow Wahine need to try something like they did at Iowa. I'd love to see it. And I'm not talking about putting a game at the football stadium. First of all, the football, putting it on the football field would only be, what, 15,000 seats if you packed every one. But I'm thinking about the Stan Sheriff Center even. Could you pack that on a special event night where you did some things like that? I mean, you put some promotions out that were absolutely over the top. Would be great. And I would love to see it. And I think Laura Beeman and the Rainbow Wahine deserve it. They have put forth a great effort over the years. They do well in conference tournaments. I mean, that is a team. That's the kind of a team that you want to look for. We need to take a quick time out. Hey, you can win a $1,000 cash grand prize and $100 weekly prizes in ESPN Honolulu's Pigskin Picks brought to you by M. Dyer Global and Young's Fish Market. Visit ESPNHonolulu.com right now to register. Welcome back on this Thursday edition of the program. I do want to mention while we have a couple of minutes here that the University of Hawaii basketball season will start with a bang, and it's going to start tonight with the tip-off banquet at the Stan Sheriff Center. That has always been a big, big fun. I, in fact, I think it's become the largest single fundraiser in UH sports at this point. A very popular event and much loved by players as well. Every year there's been a couple of players that have uh, really wanted to put on the Ritz, the fashion guys. And I'm told there's a couple to look out for tonight. Uh, one of them, certainly, is, uh, is Javon Holiday, And another one, apparently, Noel Coleman, who's Belgian and maybe has that 
European savoir-faire about him. It's going to be fun to watch. And uh, that'll be well attended. It's co-hosted tonight by uh, former ESPN and Hawaii uh, broadcasters Neil Everett and uh, Larry Beal. That'll be fun. I've, I've got a hand in this. I'm going to be doing the live auction tonight. Uh, and there's going to be uh, all kinds of the usual suspects, Kanoa Leahy and David Hallams and uh, other people. They'll have panels, and it's going to be good fun and good food. Anyway, that's tonight. It begins at uh, 5.30 p.m. Um, it's about 10 minutes in front of the hour. we got a couple things I wanted to discuss, and, and Tanner and I were talking about it during the break. You know, he, he was jumping on what I was saying earlier a little bit, uh, considering that, I guess he's made a decision on how, whether that's right. Is it the most risky thing in sports when baseball organizations sign aging pitchers with successful track rates, uh, track records, but uh, getting to an age where the injuries seem more common and more serious and less fixable? Would you generally agree with those tenets, Tanner? Well, it's definitely something that you have to take into account when you're signing these guys. Uh, I remember back a couple of years ago, as a Red Sox fan, we did sign Chris Sale. And for the first couple of years, it was going pretty good. But in the last couple of years, since he uh, opted into the rest of his contract, he hasn't really done much other than get hurt, uh, come back to play for a little bit, get hurt again, uh, have a little bit of temper tantrum in, in a couple of tunnels here and there in Fenway. And then, yeah. We've been paying him $30 million a year every single year, $27.5 million this year and last year. So it's definitely frustrating to see that happen with a lot of these aging pitchers, but especially with how you might see an uptick maybe in injuries for starting pitchers due to the pitch clock because you're not getting as much rest in between pitches. Maybe that's something to start to take into account for a lot of these guys. And you mentioned a lot of you know former Mets pitchers. I want to bring up another one in Taiwan Walker, who yes. this year played well. It wasn't like an elite season. You know, 15-6 and six looks good. He let up a lot more runs this year than he did last year with the Mets. He hasn't played – he hasn't been in the bullpen all postseason. And I think it's rumored that he might play game four. I'm not sure how that's working out for Taiwan, but he's been a major inspiration, you know, in the dugout in this entire postseason. But dude is being paid $17 million a year on a four-year contract deal, and he's done nothing for the Phillies in the playoffs. So maybe there is some into account where, hey, maybe we just got to chill out on paying the pitchers a little bit here. Well, I mean, certainly on the huge money. I, I can't help, as, as a Met fan, I can't help but remember, you know, people was talking about how well Zach Wheeler has played for the Phillies. He was a Met. I mean, people forget that. People, the Mets had plenty of talent at one point, but they seemed to have a remarkable inability to identify which was worth hanging on to. They're good at finding them. Yeah, well, they find them all right. They just can't heap more. Choose not to keep them. Nuts. And uh, right now, I would say he's probably as uh, Zach Wheeler is probably as reliable as anybody the Phillies have. But this is the thing: the pitching, the pitching position is so integral and important to the play of baseball. Obviously. They're the one person that's touching the ball every single time uh, that anything happens in the MLB. Because I was thinking, well, is the pitching argument here that we're having the same argument that NFL owners have and GMs have with the running back? But it's not because, yeah, the running backs may have a similar issue of degrading over time, especially now with how 
game is played for baseball, but because it's so integral to the game of baseball, that argument won't be even close because you have to pay the pitchers that much money because they're so important to the game. It's sort of like what the NFL plays quarterbacks. Yeah. I mean, I would make that comparison because there's no way that you're going to you know, short shirt a, pitch, a baseball uh, player, but you're really not going to do it to an NFL quarterback because that might even be more integral to winning. At least there's five starters with most teams, but you have one starting quarterback. So I would say that one is more maybe understandable when they overpay. I get it. And people say, I don't understand why the New York Giants had one good, Danny Jones had one good season. And then you go give him the keys to the city. Well, it was $140 million. It's not, you know, It was not Deshaun Watson money. It was $160 million, correct that. But and I believe it's all guaranteed. But I think, I think Daniel Jones has been, I mean, the market's crazy for quarterbacks. That's not, that's not out of step with the rest of the market. And I think Daniel Jones has gone on a good start to earning that. I think he'll be a good player next year, providing this neck injury is something he can come back from, which most people seem to believe it will be. And uh, I, it's interesting stuff. I, I get it on the NFL quarterbacks. Some of them make so much money you can't believe it. But, but with pitchers, especially if a guy has any record of injury, I just don't get it. I don't understand it. I mean, people say, well, look at what they're paying some of these position players like Mike Trout and Shohei Otani are going to break the bank and, and, and Bryce Harper already making huge money. Those guys are everyday players, exception of Shohani, who does, Otani, who does both. That's the only difference. And, uh, oh, I think I see my buddy uh, calling in, but I unfortunately can't take it quite yet. He'll have to wait a few minutes. And we're going to have a couple of things uh, to get to, and it's going to be fun. I just want to see uh, which of these NFL coaches, and we talked about it in terms of Belichick and a good chat with Nicole Yang, because apparently, I mean, Robert Kraft, as she calls him, Bob Kraft, is, is dead set on getting back to the playoffs and deep in the playoffs. And right now, that doesn't look like it's going to be possible anytime in the next two or three years, certainly with Bill Belichick at the helm. So, Will, it's almost, uh, it was almost unbelievable if, you, if someone mentioned this 10 years ago that Bill Belichick might not leave under his own, on his own terms. But I think that's quite possible at this point and, uh, because Bob Kraft is not happy. And Bill Belichick is maybe not happy with Mac Jones. He's benching him lately. And I saw a little sideline uh, tete-a-tete with those two the other day. Kind of reminded me of sometimes of Brady at some points of his career. Guy, especially towards the end with the Patriots, you know, it was a little feisty between those guys. It, the days of it just being um, Belichick serves the, you know, it's the Sermon on the Mount and everybody else just falls into place, that seems over with. Just, just saying. Doesn't seem likely. Stay tuned. The sports animals are coming up next. Chris Hart and Gary Dickman will be with you. want to thank Tanner Hayworth for his good work. Good things coming up with the uh, with the. Rainbow Warrior uh, deal tonight. And then tomorrow, the first game against St. Mary's, nationally ranked. Should be fun. That's it. For Tanner Hayworth, I'm Bobby Curran. Aloha.